Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a picture of um, two guys. Unless, well, they've got, the, um, they've got it up there. Cleveland Browns, you can tell. Um, you don't know who that guy is unless you are a huge Cleveland Brown fan and you have memorized the roster from the late 50s in the early 60s. I was his pastor for seven years. That's Jim Ray Smith. Jim Ray Smith, uh, you, you, you've not heard of him, but you're going to hear about him tonight, for at least for the next minute or two. Um, I knew him in his 60s and 70s. I was his pastor. I'd go and have coffee. I'd uh, stop off at uh, Country Club some afternoons, and I'd have coffee. He'd always be in there having coffee. Great guy, solid Christian, in his late 60s and early 70s, he still looked like that. The last time I saw him, he still looked like that. Had his physique, worked out. He was a man's man. Now, that's Jim Ray Smith. This guy, you know. You know that guy? Jim Brown. All kind of records. I mean, a football <laughs> hero. You can't say enough about him. I mean, all the records that he set, all the records he established, some of them are still standing. This guy was a great guy. Go back to Jim Ray. That guy's a significant guy. Go back to Jim Brown. You want to know why this guy was able to put up the numbers that he was able to put up? Go back to Jim Ray. Because that guy blocked him out the way. You got one guy that's great. You got one guy that's significant. Jim Brown was a great, great running back football player. But if you go and read about Jim Ray Smith, they'll tell you he was the guy that blocked and opened up the lanes so Jim Brown could shoot through. Um, there's a difference between greatness and significance. And I want to talk to you about that tonight. In my own personal life, I don't long for greatness, but I really deeply yearn for significance. I want my life to count for something. I long to be significant in the sense that I do something for someone else. I, I do something for others. My life counts, and it's significant uh, in that uh, other people are blessed by my life. When David called Solomon into his bedchamber, and he looked at Solomon and he said, I'm going the way of all the earth, be a man, I think David was saying, don't chase greatness. Don't chase it. Man's out there running after trying to be great. Don't chase greatness. Go for significance in life. Now, I just have to tell you, I don't think anybody knows the difference between the two. And in our generation, in our age, everybody wants greatness because they associate greatness, listen, not so much with money, but greatness with fame and with notoriety and with recognition. Any poll that you read in our day about what people want in the Western world will tell you this. It's not money that they want. It's not wealth and riches that they want. What they want is they long for popularity. They long to be famous. They want to be recognized. I was reading this afternoon um, an interesting article, not a Christian article. It was put out by Business Magazine on how to hire millennials. And I was just reading through, what is it? How do you hire millennials? What are you looking for when you hire millennials? Those kind of things. And I want you to listen to what they said. It's not just true of millennials. It's true with our whole culture today. It said this, you need to understand two things. They want instant gratification. They want instant recognition. I want everybody to know who I am. I want everybody to recognize me. I want fame. I want notoriety. I want popularity. I'm chasing after greatness, and that's what I think greatness is in our day. Do you know Neil Armstrong took five pictures when he was in that lunar module and on the moon? Five pictures. I got five pictures last night from a friend in their dessert. 
We are chasing after stuff that Satan has convinced us will bring meaning to our life. We're chasing after things that that Satan has told us is what we really want, and so we're all running after this thing called greatness, popularity, fame. I want everybody to know me. Um, I was uh, told a story not long ago about a place, I think it was in Dallas, they were telling me about this. It was a retail store where all the employees were very upset with uh, with the management. And so what they did was they stayed in late one night, and uh, they switched all the price tags on everything. So they took all the price tags off of the cheap stuff and put it on the expenses stuff and all the price tags off the expense. They took what they were telling me, because there's a Rolex um, factory there in Dallas, is that they took the $12,000 tags off of Rolex watches and put them on the Timex watches and took the $99 tags off of Timex and put them on the Rolex. And so what happened during the course of the next few days before anybody caught it was this, is that people were paying tons of money for junk and little bit of money for stuff that was really valuable. Well, let me tell you, somehow into our culture, Satan has slipped into our culture and he has swapped the price tags on a lot of things in life. He's taken the value of things that used to be valuable and honored and respected and considered to be uh, of great worth. And what he's done is he's convinced our culture that that's worth nothing. And he's taken what was cheap, and he's taken what was nasty, and he's taken what was vulgar, and he's put huge price tags on that so that our culture is running after all of that kind of stuff. You want an illustration? Virginity. Virginity. Today, what used to be considered worthy, admirable, honorable, of great value. I pastored Tim Tebow for 12 years, talked to him often. And um, here's a young man who is a man's man. I can tell you that he doesn't have 2% body fat on his body. But I can tell you this, he has been laughed at, mocked, ridiculed, and jeered because he has said, I will not have sex with a woman until I marry my wife. And he has been absolutely ridiculed through the press because of that. Take manhood. Manhood was something that was looked at that was honorable, respected, revered. You looked up to manhood. But somehow Satan has gotten into our culture, and that has been cheapened in our day And what he's convinced us to do as men is run after that which is nasty, that which is of no worth, that which is not honorable at all. And so we as men are out there running after things when what we need to be doing is this, we need to be building significance in our lives. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Let me give you a definition of the two. Greatness is that which comes in volume and in quantity. Greatness comes in volume and quantity. Significance, with that, it comes in um, quality and value and consequence. That's the difference between the two. And you say, well, okay, well, now what does that mean in a man's life? Well, it means three things. Every man has three, uh, three things in his life that really impact those around him. Number one is influence. Significance has an influence that says, I want to influence you for what is good for your life. In other words, I want to add value to you. I'm going to influence your life in such a way that your life is more valuable after our encounter. Uh, The second thing is inspiration. I want to inspire. Men can inspire. And we want to inspire others to do something greater than what they've done before. We want to inspire them to reach a little higher. We want to inspire them to run a little further. We want to inspire them to dig a little deeper. And so we have that when you have significance. You can influence and add value. You can inspire and encourage people to do more than they've ever done. And the third thing is impact. I can marshal all of my gifts. 
I can marshal all of my ability. I can marshal all of my strength and my talent together so that I have an impact on the life of another person. Now, when I think of influence, inspiration, and impact, I go back and I think about my own dad. When my dad died, all of us arrived in in, uh, my hometown at the same time, all the kids and the grandkids. We all arrived there about the same time, and we met at the funeral home before the visitation, and we walked into the room where they had my dad's body in the casket, and I walked over. I can remember walking over with Deb, and I looked down at my dad, and all the kids came up around me, and I pointed down, and I said, there lies a man of God. That's how I knew him. He was significant because he influenced and he inspired and he impacted my life. And all the lives of those around him so that when he left this world, people would say, my life is better because I knew him. That's significance. That's what we as men should long for. That's what we as men should strive for. And you say, well, how in the world do we do that? How do we have that? Now, last week, let me give you, I went over three things with you as we began this. Number one, I told you that you were created by God for God. Remember? You were created by God for God. That's why you're here. God created you for himself. Number two, you were created first to lead. And I don't give a flying flip if that's not politically correct. I don't care. You were created first, and you were created first to lead. And number three, you were created to live out God's will in life. Now, I'm coming to God's will in this, and that is he wants you to live out a life of significance. How do I become a significant man? How do I live that out? Well, two ways. Number one, you have to align yourself up under the Word of God. Uh, Men, there's no other way to grow spiritually than be in this book on a daily basis. You can't do it. It doesn't come by osmosis. You can't put this under your pillar at night and it just somehow pass out of the book into your head. That didn't work in high school. It's not going to work with the Bible. Um, You have to align yourself up under the Word of God. And the second thing is this. You have to grasp what your salvation means. What does your salvation mean? What does it mean to be saved? If I ask you, what is salvation to you, we'd probably say, you know, well, you know, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Uh, When I die, I don't have to go to hell. Your salvation is so much more than that. And I'm going to just give you one single point tonight. Now, you believe that, right? Uh, I'm going to give you one major single point tonight. It's what I really want to talk to you about in this whole thing of significance, and it deals with your salvation an aspect of your salvation. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you'll look over at Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to get started with a verse in Ephesians, but I'm going to take you back to Romans. Ephesians chapter 4, and listen to verse 24. Paul writes and he says, put on the new Christ, or or put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Your salvation is this, you, you are new. You are something different now than what you were before your salvation experience. Something has happened, whether you can tell it or not. If you have actually come to Christ, something has transpired in your life. And Paul talks about that back in Romans chapter 6. So now flip back to Romans chapter 6. Now I have a lot of people say, why do you keep flipping through Scripture? Because that's what I preach from. The day you see me get up here with a Time magazine, you can boot me out the door. But when I get up here with the Word of God, I'm going to preach from one place to the other in it. (laughs) So Romans chapter 6. Now Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5 deals with justification. 
Romans 6, 7, and 8 deals with sanctification. So you kind of see where this is falling theologically in the book of Romans. Um, And uh, look at Romans 5, if you would. It's just across the page in my Bible. Romans 5, verse 10, because he's going to talk about reconciliation. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, what he's saying there is basically this. You and I have been reconciled. When, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his work on the cross brought our justification. Part of that work of justification was the work of reconciliation. Now, the word reconciliation literally means this, to exchange. Exchange. If I pulled out a... Um, you, you got a $100 bill, Jim? Is that, uh, well, let's pretend you had a $100 bill. And I pulled out, and, I've, and, and here's a 20, and we exchanged that 20 for a $100 bill. That's a good picture of reconciliation. If you could bring one next week, it'll, it'll help. Um, that, that's a picture of reconciliation. It's exchange. That is, when I came to Jesus Christ, the old me that I was was taken. He took it. And he put back in me himself. So there was an exchange. He got the raw end of the deal on that, buddy. But he knew what he was doing. So that's, that's reconciliation. That's part of your salvation experience. And that's what I want to kind of walk you through this evening. I want you to grasp and understand what reconciliation to God is all about. And Paul begins this in Romans chapter 6 And I'm going to pick it up in verse 3 and talk about the reality of it. Uh, He comes and he says, do you not know? He's going to say that three times. He says it right here in verse 3. He says it, I think, down in verse 16. And then he says it in 7-1. Those are rhetorical questions. And what Paul is doing is this. He's saying, come on, guys, surely you know this. Surely you understand this. But he's not going to take a chance that they do, so he begins to explain. I want my life to be one of significance. If I'm going to get that significance, I've got to grasp this whole thing of my salvation, and my salvation is wrapped up in my reconciliation to God. What is the reality of that? Well, now watch and and catch a hold of this, men. Do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ. Now, let me stop right there. That concept of baptized means immersed. Uh, The word uh, baptizo was taken out of the textile world, and they would take a piece of cloth and they would immerse it down under the dye. They'd put the whole thing in there. They wouldn't just dip a little corner They wouldn't just sprinkle a little bit on the cloth. They took the whole piece of cloth, that's what the word means, and they put it under the dye. It went completely under. Now, we use that word all the time. He's immersed in the football game, so he's wrapped up in it. His focus, his attention, everything is on that. He's immersed in it. She's immersed in her studies. Uh, She's just under all of this pile of books, and she's studying this. He's immersed in his work. We all understand what that is. We get at work sometime and we just get immersed in it. So he comes and he's talking about being immersed into Christ. Um, In fact, Paul uses a great illustration of this in Colossians 3.30 when he says that we have been, that our lives are hidden in Christ and Christ's now in God. So it talks about my life being in Christ I'm as deep in God as I can get. I've been immersed, baptized into Christ. But now watch it, what what he's speaking of. Look at the symbolism here. We've been baptized into Christ, wrapped up in Christ, immersed in Christ, Christ Jesus having been baptized into his death. Now you say, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is this, is that Christ, when he was crucified on that cross, died for who? Who did he die for? Why did he die for us? He loved us to reconcile us to God. 
because we were sinners. Whose sin was Jesus dying for on that cross? Ours. Mine, yours, ours. Um, Was he dying for his sin? Because he had no sin. So what Paul is saying is this. He's using baptism as a picture to say, I've just been immersed in Christ. I'm wrapped up in Christ so that when Christ was crucified, I was crucified. I've been crucified. What does Paul say in Romans in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the, in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. So I can honestly actually say it like this. I can honestly say that Jesus didn't die for me. Jesus died as me. That's as real as it can get. When he was on the cross, there's a song that goes, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. That when he died on that cross that day, he didn't just die for me, he died as me. Mac Brunson was as dead as he could possibly be because I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. So get this down. When he was crucified, we died. You died. I died. When we came and received him, that's what happened to us. Therefore, now because of that, do you see this in verse verse 4? You've often heard this. What is the therefore, therefore? It ties back to what's just been said. Therefore, we have been buried with him through his baptism. So I've not only been crucified with Christ, I not only died on the cross with him, I've been buried with him. I was in the tomb with him. I was buried. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised, in fact, that's, that, that's why we baptize, baptize the way we do. That's why we immerse, because number one, that's what the word means, but it's a picture of what happened to Christ. Paul said it right there. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. When we baptize somebody in that baptistry right there, when they go down in the water, we call it a watery grave because it is a picture of going down into the grave going down into the tomb. By the way, I've had the privilege of, of, of being in North Africa and going through Tertullian's church and Cyprian's church and Augustine's church. Now, nobody, these are not sites that are visited. Uh, we even took a Tunisian guide with us and showed him where it was. And the only reason we know it, where it is is because I had with me a Baptist missionary who was over the Muslim countries, that a Catholic priest who was an archaeologist took him and showed him. When I went to Tertullian's church, and uh, this, this Tunisian guy, was, he was stunned. He, had, he said, I've, rode, I've ridden by this place, but I had no idea what it was. The baptistry was out beside the church, and it, this is still there. You go down into a hole. That This is the way the first, second, third century churches were. You go down into the ground. There were steps like this. You walk down into the ground, underground, a lot deeper than this. There was a baptistry there that came up to here. So there was no sprinkling here. You, you were dunked. Up to here, in Augustine's church too. Up to here, I stepped down into the thing. And you were baptized, and then you walked out a different way, and you came back up a second set of steps, and what it was a picture of is that when you were saved, you go down into the grave and you were buried there and you come up in a picture of resurrection on the other side. I can tell y'all are just stunned with that. Well, that has an awful lot of implication right there. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I've been raised with him as well. I've been resurrected with Christ. That's why Paul comes over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, and he makes this interesting statement. Let me just read it to you. And raised us up with him and seated us with him. All of those are past tense. This has happened in the past. 
He's raised us up with him, past tense, seated us with him, past tense, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying in that passage right there is this, is that when God looks around heaven, he sees you, brother. He sees you seated right there, just as you will be in the resurrection. Now, I'm going to tell you, that just does something. That makes me want to just get Pentecostal. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 6. He comes and he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. And now I've been raised with Christ. And in Ephesians, he says, God sees me seated there with Christ. You know what that's called? Positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Now, all of that he's done for a reason. He wants you to realize it. That leads me to the second thing, a realization of it. That's the reality. That is what happened when you came to Jesus Christ. When you came to Christ, confessed your sins, received him as your Lord and Savior, in that moment it was as if you had been crucified there with Jesus that day, buried with him, and then raised with him and already seated in heaven. Now watch, here's the realization. Here he comes in verse 6, knowing this. He says, know this. Under, just get the reality of it. Now here comes, here comes the realization. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that I've been crucified now with Christ, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now let me tell you what your salvation is. Your salvation is not Jesus coming and saying, let me give you something. Let me add something to all the stuff you've already got. Here's something. In addition, here's this. That's not what salvation is. Now, does God give us stuff? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want you men to understand tonight that every one of you sitting here has a spiritual gift. You may not know it. You may not understand it. You may not have figured it out yet. That may be a surprise to you. But in 1 Corinthians, it is very clear every single saved person has been given at least one gift by the Holy Spirit. So um, he does give you something, but that's not what salvation is. It's not an addition to all the other stuff. It's not a subtraction. Does Does he take things away? He takes my sin away takes your sin away, takes our guilt away. He will take the stain of sin away. But your salvation is not a simple addition of something or a subtraction of something. Listen to me. Your salvation is a transformation of you. You've been transformed. You've been transformed. You say, when a preacher, I don't feel it. Let me tell you something. I can change your feelings with an antihistamine. Your feelings don't enter into any of this. It's what this revealed word of God tells us here. And the revealed word of God says that if you've trusted Jesus Christ, a transformation has happened in your life. Now watch. He comes and he says that the old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Cotter Geo. Katergeo means to nullify, to make ineffective. It's translated right here, done away with. So that when he was crucified on the cross, let me tell you, he nullified the sin in my life. He made it ineffective in my life. Now that's good news. That's good stuff. You say, but wait a minute, you know. Uh, preacher, I, I still am tempted, so am I. That word doesn't mean annihilated. That's not what it says right there. It says that he has dealt with it. You know what he did to sin in your life? He hobbled it. You know what hobbling is? Boy, did y'all ever see that? What was that movie? Misery. Did y'all see that thing with Kathy Bates? If that thing won't keep you up at night, nothing will. Where she hobbled? James Conn, that's what Jesus did with sin in your life. He hobbled it. He broke its leg. He crippled it. Sin, sin cannot get up in your life on its own 
But you say, but I'm still tempted. I, I still give in to sin. Yes, because we help it. We go help it up. We go help get it up. Now, that's the problem. That's the issue. He successfully has dealt with sin in our lives, guys. I want you to understand that. And the only reason we still sin in our lives is because we go and we help the sin out. We get it up. We walk it around in our hearts sometimes. But he's dealt with it. He's done away with it so that, now watch this, here comes the position. Here's our position. We are no longer slaves. The chains have been broken. Guys, the chains are broken. Verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. We're free from it. We're free from sin. It's no longer our master. We don't have to be obedient to it. In fact, let me, let me show you something. Let me give you a series of verses right here to show you what's happened in this reconciliation. Uh, just write this down. I didn't tell them to put this up on the, on the screen, but just listen. I'm going to go back to Ezekiel because I want to read this verse. Ezekiel 36. The Old Testament anticipated it. The New Testament revealed it. Here's the anticipation of it. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart. There it is right there. Even the prophet Ezekiel anticipated this. Here's the second thing, still in that same verse. I will put a new spirit within you. They anticipated it, never experienced what you and I have experienced. God has given us a new heart. He has put a new spirit within us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 15 says that we are a new being. Ephesians 4, 24 says there is a new man. We are a new man. And Revelation 2, 17 says that we have a new name. Now, you're beginning to see the reconciliation, what salvation has done in your life. You say, how does that play out in my life? How does it play out in my life? How does that work out in my life? All of us, and maybe some of us in here have even said this, but all of us have talked to somebody that has intimated, well, you know, I can't come to Christ. Why can't you come to Christ? Well, if I come to Christ, I'm going to have to give up this, and I've got to give up that, and I've got to give up some. I'm going to have to give up things that I enjoy doing. I have to give up some things that I really like to do. I have to give up some things that really are a big part of my life that I'm involved in. And um, I'm going to have to sit down and read the Bible all day, and I'll have to be in church all the time, and um, I'll have to give, you know, all my money to the church, that kind of thing. You know that's not right. You know that's not true. That's not what happened. When I begin to realize that for Mac Brunson, that when I was saved, that I actually died with Christ, was buried with Christ, was raised with Christ, that I've been reconciled to God, that there's been an exchange of the old Mac for a new Mac. Now listen, let me tell you, that has happened spiritually. It's going to happen bodily one day. This old body is going to... My back's been killing me for weeks since I've moved here. I did something in the move that is just absolutely... And it doesn't seem like it's going to go away. But one day... One day, glory. Son, I will not have any trouble getting up out the bed. I'll have a new body. But it's already started with my spirit. It's already started in my soul. There's a new me. And the fact of the matter is this. I no longer want the things that I used to want. I no longer, I no longer long for and sit around and plan for and devise all kind of schemes to get the things that I used to want. He changed my desire. He changed my wants. He changed my will. That's what happened to me when I got saved. That's what happens to you is that now I love Jesus Christ. I love the body of Christ. I, I actually love being with you guys. I don't know what you like, but I'm telling you, I actually love being here with the family of God. I actually love being with the people of God. In the whole interim period that I had between my last church and this church, I had a number of Sundays. 
I don't think I missed church but one time, and it was out of some reason. There was a reason why. I was in church. Why? Not not because somebody was paying me to be there. I want to be with the family of God. I long to be with the people of God. And I want my life to have some significance among the people of God. I want my life in some kind of way to influence you and inspire you and impact you. And if that can happen, let me tell you, you know what I used to want more than anything else? I used to really want a 1950. There was not a better car ever made than a 57 T-Bird. Huh? Right? 57 T-Bird. I'd rather be with y'all than have a 57 T-Bird. If I had to choose between a 57 T-Bird or you, I'd choose you guys. And if y'all could look at you, you would know that's a real sacrifice. Yeah. You say, but a preacher, that's such a, that's such a hard thing. It is. That's why we call it spiritual battle. It is a battle. Let me, let me show you what Paul does. Paul gives you three things right here in this pack. By the way, I'm only preaching one point tonight. I had two, but this is, I'm still in the first one. Let me show you, say, okay, well, we want that significance. It, we've got to grasp what our salvation means. I've been talking to you about that. We've been reconciled to God. What does it look like? I've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ. He has set me free from this, from this sin. I'm no longer a slave to it. I'm no longer in bondage to it. I still struggle. Yes, now it gives you, gives you three things. Watch this beginning in verse 12. Therefore, because you've been set free, because of the death that he died, and he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because of that, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me, let me take you over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want you to hear what, what Paul's going to say there about this. For though we walk in the flesh, this is verse 3, we don't war according to the flesh. You can't whip sin in your life, guys. Have you figured that out yet? You just can't do it. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive. This is the thing. I cannot fight temptation in my own flesh because my flesh wants the stuff. But I'm Christ now, and my, my desire and the longing of my heart is to please Jesus Christ, not to please myself, but to please Christ. So what do I do in these moments? I have to take every thought that comes into Mac Brunson's head captive. I have to grab it, take it captive, and listen to what he says, take it captive to the obedience of Christ. I have to take that thing and walk over to the throne and throw it down and say, Jesus, there it is. I'm, I'm putting it down there in front of you. And that's the only way I can deal with some of this stuff is grab it when it gets in there and haul it over there before the throne and throw it down there before Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Verse 13, here's the second thing. Two of these things are negative. One's going to be positive. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments. Do you see that word? It literally is the word weapons, as weapons of unrighteousness. Now, he, he says, don't present your body. And by that, he means this, everything about you, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your hands, your feet, your glands, your organs, See why I don't want the women in here? And that's as delicately as I can put it. 
I can't be explicit, but there's no need to do that. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, all of that, don't, don't present those things as weapons of unrighteousness. Don't give that over to the devil. If your best friend came to your house tonight at midnight, knocked on your door and said, hey, do you have a pistol? And you said, yeah, I got a pistol. He said, let me have that thing. Let me, let me use that. I am so sick of being behind in my rent. I'm going down here to the bank. I'm going to break in. I'm going I'm to get enough money to pay the rent off. What would you say to him? You look at him and say, have you lost your mind? Number one, you're not coming to, I'm not going to give you my gun because it's been registered with the government <laughs> in my name. So you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. That's what Paul said. Don't do Think of it in a simple term like that. Don't take your body and give it over to the devil to be used. Because now listen, this is what he's saying. When you hand your body over to the devil like that, when you yield to temptation, he's taking your body, using it as a weapon, and he's using it against you. I'm going to show you a film clip. You remember old Crocodile Dundee? Here's the most famous clip out that whole movie. Here it is. It's, it's nighttime right there now. Huh? Yeah, you got it, brother. I believe in you. This is a pause because this is worth seeing. You know what I'm talking about. You know the scene. There it is right there. Here he is. You got some sound to it? You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. That's a knife. <laughs> That was worth the price of the whole movie right there. Listen, now he pulls that out. What, what would you think if he just turned it around and handed it to the guy? You'd think you're an idiot. That's what Paul is saying. Every time you yield yourself to sin, you are saying to Satan, here, here's my body, use it as a weapon, and Satan's going to say, thank you, because I'm going to use it right against you. Paul says, don't do that. Don't go on presenting the members of your body as sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Here's number three. Here's the positive. Present to God yourselves as those alive from the dead and your members as weapons. I want my body. I love the thoughts of this. I want my body to be a weapon in the hand of God. Now, I just love the thought of that. I just think that's about the neatest thing in the world. You present, he says, present yourselves to God. That whole concept of present yourself, it, is, it gets down in that, uh, in that realm of a subject, a knight coming before the king. We're knights. We come before our king and we present ourselves. And as we kneel before our king, we kneel there with the commitment that we do anything our king tells us to do. We present ourselves to our king as his knight. The knight was the weapon of the king in the Middle Ages. He did the work of the king. Whatever the king would bid him do, that's what he did. The, the knight would say, my shield is your shield. My horse is your horse. My sword is your sword. And he presented himself. That's how he presented himself to the king. My sword is your sword. You, all you have to do is direct me, and it's your sword. It does whatever you command. That's what Paul is saying right here. He says, present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 19 ties in with this. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Yes, Paul. Paul, thank goodness, in chapter 7, he's going to talk about his own weaknesses. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, you just got into sin, you got deeper into sin. I find that to be so true with men. Men get into sin and they just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Instead of just turning around and running out, 
They go deeper in. So now do this. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. That whole thing of reconciliation, this whole thing of him growing you, growing you, growing you, every time you present yourself, listen to me, guys, every time you turn from a sin and present yourself to God, it does something exponentially in your soul spiritually. In 1983, there was a guy, a scientist by the name of Lorne Whitehead, who did, came out with, you probably have heard this, uh, the domino uh, effect reaction, the domino chain reaction. Have you all heard this? I know you, you've, read, you've read the book that, I'm, that this comes out of, Batterson's book. It's called the domino chain effect. Now listen to this, guys, because here's a principle. I'm going to close with this. You, a domino can tip over another domino that is one and a half times its size. In fact, let me, let me show you that. I've got a video of this. There, it's set in the mountains. And here it is. Now watch this. This is the principle. See that little domino there? Look at that little domino. Tips it. Watch. Now that, that's wood. All of that is wood. If you could hear it, you could hear the wood hitting each other. So you take a two-inch domino, and a two-inch domino can knock down a three-inch domino, and a three-inch domino can knock down a four-and-a-half-inch domino. You get the picture? Now listen. By the time you get to the 18th domino, you could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the time you get to the 23rd domino, you could knock over the Eiffel Tower. And by the time you get to the 29th domino, you could knock over the Empire State Building. It's a mathematical formula. Math progresses in two ways, linear linear and geometric. Linear um, math is 2 plus 2. Geometric math is 2 times 2. You get the picture? So if you take 30 linear steps, you're going to be 90 feet away. If you take 30 geometric steps, you're going, to, you're going to go around the world 26 times. You get the picture? Now listen, faith is not linear. It's geometric. And when you strive for spiritual significance in your life, you have a spiritual impact, the likes of which you'll never be able to see this side of heaven. You'll impact the lives of little boys and little girls for the rest of their lives. You'll impact the lives of other men. You'll impact the church. And if we would take this spiritual significance seriously, the men in this room could impact the city of Birmingham like you couldn't begin to even calculate. Do you want to do it? Do you want to be men of greatness or men of significance? I want to be a man of significance. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, I just wonder if God's speaking to your heart tonight. I'm not going to give an invitation, but I want you just to think about what you've you've heard What has God said to you tonight? Do you understand your salvation a little better? What it means? Can you walk back through that sixth chapter of Romans and just point down through there and say, this is what has happened to me? You need to grasp what salvation means. You need to grasp what Jesus Christ has done for you. When you begin to grasp that, it makes a difference in your life. You want to live your life and influence people for God's glory. You want to inspire people for God's glory. 
You want to impact. You want to marshal all the gifts and abilities that you have, and you want to impact somebody for God's glory. That's a life of significance. Father, you've taught us much tonight in your word. Your word is rich. It's bottomless. It's so full. It's so sweet. I can say with the Old Testament patriarch, it is as sweet as honey on my lips. Thank you for your word. Forgive me, Father, that I neglect it so often. Thank you for the life that it gives to me. Thank you, Lord, that your word is like water on parched, dry ground. Thank you, Lord, that it brings life and gives life and sustains life. And for all these men, Father, I'm a man as well. I know what they struggle with. There are things, Lord, we struggle with we don't like to say out in public. There are things that all of us deal with. Father, help us to understand that we've been set free. Sin no longer has mastery over us. We no longer have to yield to what our body tells us it wants to do. Father, you live now in us. We've been crucified with you, and yet we live And yet it's not us, Father. It is Christ that lives in us. Give us, Father, a victory. Even tonight, give us a spiritual victory over the flesh so that that domino effect of sanctification builds and it's easier the next time to have victory over the flesh. Help us to be men, Lord Jesus, that you're proud of. I want my wife to be proud of me. I want my children and my grandchildren to be proud of me. I want my church to be proud of me. But more than anything else, Father, I want you to smile on me, on all of us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.